0: Bible says if you don't have vision you'll cast off restraint the direction that you should be going you'll go another direction because you can't see what God has laid ahead of us Uh, in our first week our our message was called dreams and visions and we looked at uh, Pharaoh having a dream Joseph coming to interpret that dream how peace is found in interpretation how God will direct our lives and we can actually find our destiny, right, our purpose, what it is that God has for us as an individual within the dreams and visions of another, right? A lot of times we sit at home and we pray, God, show me something. God, tell me what it is that you have for me. God, put me onto a particular track. But when you read through the scriptures, a lot of people find their destiny, a lot of people find their purpose by getting in line with or getting into the flow of somebody else who's already walking in purpose and walking in destiny and walking with vision. You know, I love what what Mary said, to be able to, to see a preview last year in 2016, get into her word, pray about it, lay some foundation for some things that hadn't happened yet, and then in the next year, 2017, right, to see 23 women out together to see this movie, it's more than just, hey, let's go watch a movie. It's, hey, God has shown us something and prepared an opportunity for us to be blessed. And then the women walk into that. That's how vision works, right? That was a vision that she had, but others were able to find a blessing and some fellowship and a good time away from their husbands and kids because of it. That's how dreams and visions are supposed to work. Last week we saw um, in our series, our message was called Nearsighted and we looked at those who can only see a little bit in front of themselves, right? You can't see past this week, you can't see past the drama you're in, you can't see past the fight you're in with your spouse, or the difficulty that you have financially, maybe, whatever it is, we begin to be nearsighted, and again, we don't stay the course that God would have us to go. Receive the blessings that God has in store for us. So this morning, uh, those of you that saw it online, and then obviously with the video, we're gonna be looking at 2020 what is 2020 vision All right amen perfect right uh, 2020 is actually not perfect vision it's what you and i think perfect vision is and it's what you and i try to get back to because we remember when we had good vision when we were kids right we could see everything my daughter right now she's wearing uh, glasses with no prescription on them you know why because she saw some other little girls running around here that have prescription glasses. She got jealous. She, we took her to the eye doctor. Listen to this. <laughs> she lied to the school. She lied to everybody. The school sent a note home saying, hey, you got to take your daughter to the eye doctor. We took her to the eye doctor, sat her in the chair. The doctor says, OK, can you see this? Can you see that? She's like, no, I can't see it. No, I can't see it. No, I can't see it, right? At the end, the doctor pulls Mary outside and says, listen, your daughter's vision is perfect. <laughs> She could see everything, she just wants glasses, and we're like, okay. (laughs) So we took a little girl to Claire's or whatever it is yesterday, bought her some fake glasses. She's got the biggest smile on her face, right? And most of us are the opposite. We want, she has good vision and wants glasses. Most of us have no vision, can't see, and we long for the days that we could, right? We want to go back to that. Why? Because we think 2020 is perfect vision, right? We want that in regular life, and we want that in our relationship with God. God, just show me and make it clear. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm tired of, of trying to guess. I'm tired of, trying to figure out what you want to show me. I'm try, tired of trying to figure out which way that I should go. Just make it clear. Give me 2020. Tell me what the vision is, and I'll run. I promise. Right. So I looked up this definition um, or an explanation of what 2020 vision is, and uh, I think some of us will be surprised. Listen to this. 2020 vision is a term used to express normal visual acuity. Say normal. The clarity or sharpness of vision measured at a distance of 20 feet. If you have 2020 vision, you can see clearly at 20 feet what should normally be seen at that distance. If you have 2100 vision, it means that you must be as close as 20 feet to see what a person with normal vision could see at 100 feet. Having 20-20 vision does not necessarily mean you have perfect vision. 20-20 vision only indicates the sharpness or clarity of vision at a distance. Other important vision skills, including peripheral awareness or side vision, eye coordination, depth perception, focusing ability, and color vision contribute to your overall visual ability. Some people can see well at a distance, but are unable to bring nearer objects into focus, condition caused by farsightedness or a loss of focusing ability. Others can see items that are close, but cannot see those far away. This condition may be caused by nearsightedness, like we saw last week. And finally, a comprehensive eye examination by a doctor of optometry can diagnose what is affecting your ability to see well. In most cases, your optometrist can prescribe glasses, contact lenses, or a vision therapy program that will help you improve your vision. If the reduced vision is due to an eye disease, you may be prescribed ocular medication or another treatment. So 2020 is not perfect vision. We should be striving for something beyond that. We should be trying to get to 2010 or 25 or even 21, right? 2020 is just what normal people should be able to see in the world. When it comes to you and I and our relationship with God, we need to have greater vision. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. So, last week, like I said, we saw nearsighted and a condition that many of us struggle with. We saw that salvation and healing for many of us has a ceiling. When we talked about being nearsighted, we come to God, we come to church, and we say, Okay, it's actually real. I got saved. I've been healed of multiple things, right? Many of us have testimonies of day one, being an addict. I was an addict for at least a decade, smoked and got high every single day for 10 years. The day I gave my life to the Lord never got high again because there was salvation and there was healing on day one. Many of us have testimonies like that of of areas of our life that God just completely removed, but then there's those other areas. Somebody say Jericho. We have those other ones that for whatever reason, they stick around. It's like, Lord, why didn't you just deal with all of them, right? But when you're nearsighted, you have salvation and healing with the ceiling. You say, well, thank God for all those things that he did heal on day one, but that's the ceiling for me. The rest I'm just going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. That's being nearsighted. You can't see yourself overcoming the rest of it. You can't see God continuing the work that he began in you. This week, I want you to think about a plateau and a problem. What many of us do in our walk with God is we reach what what I'll call is a new height, somewhere you've never been with God, right, but then you plateau. You say, man, this is amazing. I didn't think I was going to even get here. I don't even need a great relationship. Just give me any relationship, right? (laughs) I don't need, like, a lot of money. I just need enough to put food on the table. I'm good with that. I'm going to plateau right here. But when we plateau and we also have a problem, that stunts your growth with God, and inevitably you will start to go backwards. You don't get to plateau, keep your problems, and stay there. Either you keep climbing up and God continues to do more in your life, or you inevitably begin to backslide and go backwards. What we have to do is see and accept the vision that our weaknesses show us that God is using it as a platform to continue his work in our life. If you have weaknesses this morning, you are not alone. If you have problems this morning, you are not alone. You're not alone in the congregation. You're not alone on the stage. You're not alone when it comes to worshipers. It's not, you're not alone when it comes to ministry leaders. You're not alone when it comes to the pastor. We all have problems still, but we cannot plateau. We cannot stop here. We have to see those problems, not as something to sweep under the rug, to pretend as if it's not there, right? These are problems that we need to look at and say, okay, God, I have vision for these problems and for these issues. And my vision is you're going to continue the work you started. That's Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He's not done. He's not finished. So this morning what we're going to do, we're going to do a five-point vision test to see if you've got 2020. Some of you might have better, and some of us might have worse. But we're going to look at it. I hope we can leave here. Maybe you'll get a prescription from God. Maybe you'll find out you have a disease, right? that requires a a pretty significant prescription. Maybe some of you just need some glasses. Maybe some of you need contacts. Maybe some of you are like my daughter and you can see just fine, but we'll give you fake glasses anyway. (laughs) But we can't leave the same. Somebody say amen. amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you that we were able to see, Lord. You gave us a vision from our young youth, Lord of salvation and the importance, Lord, of accepting you as our Lord and Savior, of serving you, but also sharing the good news with our loved ones, with our friends, and with our family, Lord, God. We've seen some things already this morning, Lord, that we were unprepared for, but you're always prepared, God. We ask that you would continue the work that you started here in this building this morning, Lord, that we would not leave this place the same way that we came in, that every set of eyes would be touched, Lord, and changed, healed, transformed, Lord, that you would have a specific pres- prescription for each and every one of us, Lord, and that we wouldn't leave without having it filled. We love you. We thank you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Weren't the youth awesome? Amen. Amen. Give them another hand. So, so, amen, made me cry too there. Come on. So that's the thing about churches, there's always so much going on that if we will open our eyes and actually look and see, it's not just about being in here on Sundays. It's not just about coming in for a Bible study, hearing the word of God. All that is amazing. We need that. That's our foundation. That's what everything else is built upon. But we've got women going out and fellowshipping and encouraging one another. We've got youth showing up early, practicing, going to other churches and ministering, right? We've got men who are rising up to be real men of God and to be leaders. There's so much going on in the church that to me it's a it's a dishonor. To say, oh, what's church like? Oh, you just go and hear. You just go and listen. God says we need to go, so we go. That's not why I got saved. I don't know about the rest of you guys. God's up to a lot, amen? So let's start this five point uh, vision test this morning. We're gonna start, if you have your Bibles or if you've got your app, John chapter 20, verse 20. Say 2020, John 20, verse 20. Go ahead and turn there, but it's up here on the screen for you guys. It says, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Leave it up there, Ray. It's fine. John chapter 20, verse 20. He showed them his hand and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When we get up close and personal with this scripture, when you're right up there at this point with God, where Jesus is allowing his disciples to see his wounds, right? We know what happened. He's already risen from the dead. He's standing there close enough where he says, look at the holes in my hands. Look at the hole in my side. You're close enough to reach out and touch me, right? And they're glad when they see who it is, right? What he's done. These wounds that they thought were fatal, now they have a new vision of what's possible. Does that make sense this morning? They know that when you get stabbed in the side and you don't scream and blood and water comes out, that means you're dead. They know that when you have holes in your hands, it means that you've been crucified for some particular crime and you're dead. But because Jesus has gotten right up close and personal, they're seeing, they're having a new vision of what's actually possible in this life. What an amazing thing to be able to see. What an amazing thing to be able to experience, seeing something that changes your perspective on life. What we have to do this morning, though, is we got to take a couple steps back, right? He's there with them. He's in the room. He says, here, look, put your hand here, put your hand here. But what's the distance for 20-20 vision? 20 feet, right? So we got to back up off it and see it a little bit further, see how clear maybe the picture will become when we're a little bit further away because we can be nearsighted, right? I'm going to read verse 19 through 22. We'll leave 20 up there for you guys. But this is John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22. It says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So we can only see a little bit when we're at that near nearsighted right up there where you can reach out and touch them. But now from 20 feet back, we see a little bit more. It was the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Now, what were the disciples doing? They were gathered together like we are. This isn't just some random thing that we do. Everything that we do should be biblical. Every time we go anywhere, we do anything, we have an experience, we have a ministry, we should ask, where does the Bible say we should do that? Because if it's not in the word of God, we shouldn't be doing it. Somebody say amen. It just becomes tradition. <laughs> it says that they were gathered together on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Right? They had just lost their Lord. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have direction. They didn't have vision. So what did they say? Let's get together and try to remember everything that he said to us, everything that he taught us. Here's another thing. It says that they were in this room with the door shut. Why? Because they were afraid of those who were outside. Do you know it's okay to be afraid? Somebody say amen. What we spend most of our life trying to do is convince people that we're not afraid of anything. That we're not afraid of losing anything, that we're not afraid of being insufficient, right? That we're not afraid of not having enough. What this scripture says is that when the church first got together, they got together on the first day of the week like we did, and they came to this place because they had fear. I'm watching this show, Sherlock. Anybody watch Sherlock? Just put myself out there. It's a good show. What's wrong with you guys? What are you guys watching? Don't tell me. Sherlock is a good show. I don't know why I like it, but I like it. And I'm kind of frustrated, this is a side note, but they're on season four, and it's not on Netflix, and it's not on Amazon. They want $20, and it's only three episodes. I couldn't do it. So I started looking, free, free Sherlock. <laughs> Can I say that? Let me repent, Lord. I, I, you know. Anyway, on Sherlock, yesterday I was watching it, season three. <laughs> And he said something like this, he said, do not be ashamed of fear, it is the sane person's response to problems that are bigger than they are. Sherlock's kinda confusing apparently. (laughs) He said, why would you act like you're not afraid? Sane people are afraid of problems that are bigger than they are. You should be afraid, the fact that you actually have fear from a problem that's bigger than you are, it means that you're not crazy. If you weren't afraid of problems that are bigger than you are, that makes you a crazy person. That makes you insane. We come to church with problems that are bigger than we are, and that's nothing to be ashamed about. We should not be coming into this place acting like everything's all good all the time, acting like you don't have problems that are bigger than you are, going around during meet and greet with the biggest smile on your face, hugging everybody, and then you leave, and you're, like, tormented and depressed. (laughs) That's not why we come into this place to fake the funk. We come in here to keep it real. Yes, I'm happy to see you. Yes, I want to smile, and you make me happy to actually see your faces. However, if you got two or three minutes after church, let me tell you what's really going on, because I'm tore up, and I need help. (laughs) So listen to what it says. The disciples are there. They're together. The first day of the week, it's Sunday. They're afraid because of who's outside and what's up against them. And it says Jesus comes into the midst of them, just like he's here this morning in the midst of us. And what does he say? What is the first word that comes to him? Even because he knows that they're afraid, he says, peace to you. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because I'm here. You came into this place with problems that are bigger than you are, but the one that's bigger than any problem is here. For them, they still couldn't understand how just his presence could give them peace in their season of fear, in their season of trial, in their season of difficulty, right? Just the fact that you're here, what does that mean for me? How does that give me peace? Jesus is here this morning, but how many of you, because he's here, any fear that you had when you showed up is now gone, or is it still sitting with you? Just the fact that he's here is not enough always to remove that fear. Something happened. What happened was they got 20-20 vision. He showed them in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side, and then, say then, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When they saw his hands, when they saw his side, they said, listen, there's obviously something that is greater than death, and we've now seen it. If he can overcome death, if he can come back from being crucified, right, then whatever it is that I'm afraid of, maybe there is a chance of peace. The crucifixion of Christ, it doesn't matter what you're afraid of or what you're struggling with, what's oppressing you this morning, if you really see with your eyes, 2020 vision, if you can really see Christ, you should have peace in whatever it is that you're dealing with. Hebrews 2.14 says, Through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What that means is this. Most people walk around, they're so afraid of dying that they live like hell. That's what that means. You're so afraid of dying that you're going to do everything you want, when you want, however long you want, however much you want, because you don't know if today's going to be your last day. We sing songs and our kids sing songs like YOLO, You Only Live Once. No, you don't. You live twice. Just like our youth got up here and did this skit and the demons came and grabbed all the ones that didn't know the Lord, they weren't going to be destroyed in the fire. They get a new body just like you and I get a new body that will last forever in the fire. You live twice. But because of fear of death, we behave in a way that doesn't honor God. Whatever we're up against, man, get to church. (laughs) Bring your fear to the altar. Let them deal with it. So once they see this, they see the holes in his hands, right? And they see the hole in his side, and they say, man, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe my situation isn't as bad as I thought it might be. There's only one thing left that has to happen. Once you can see that, the last thing that has to happen, it said at the last verse, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? He says, if you're up close and personal, you can see this. If you back up, you can see from 20 feet that I'm coming to give you peace in no matter what situation or circumstance you're in. And once you can see both of those things, he says, I'm gonna breathe my spirit into your life. It'll be with you all the time, everywhere you go. You'll have moments and fits of fear and frustration and anxiety, but then you'll have the peace of God well up from inside of you. Can you see it? Is that the vision that we walk around with? That's the vision I wanna walk around with. Let's keep going. Twenty twenty. Say twenty twenty. Exodus chapter twenty, verse twenty, up there for you. It says, Moses said to the people, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and this, or excuse me, and that is his, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you, that his fear will be before you, that you wouldn't sin." We know that God does not tempt us because the word tells us that all temptation is from the devil. We learned this at our Bible study, though, that God does test us. Right? The devil tempts. You want this? It's good. It's going to feel good. It's going to taste good. Eat this. Right? Nobody's going to know. Nobody can see you. Just don't post it. Nobody will know. (laughs) That's the devil. He tempts you. God tests you. What we learned in our Bible study is that the test of God is not to prove how weak you are. It's to prove how strong you are and how much has changed in your life. God's not trying to test you so that you would fail and say, look, I told you, you suck. What he's saying is you have no idea what I've done in your life. You have no idea the power that's alive inside of you. I lay a test before you so that you can be victorious and say, God, I didn't know that you were so good. I didn't know that I had changed so much. The testimony of many Christians is they look up, and when people begin to tell them, hey, you're different, you look different, you sound different, you talk different, they're like, I didn't even know. But God is in me. God is changing you. So Moses says, don't be afraid. God has come to test you. Let's step back about 20 feet, see a little bit more of this story. From verse 18 of Exodus 20, All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They said to Moses, you speak with us, and we'll hear, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you might not sin. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. What a story. So here's what you need to see. Here's what you need to know. God tests witnesses. If you're going through a test or a trial and it's from God, it's because you're a witness to who he is and what he's capable of doing. God doesn't test people who have never seen him do anything. They don't know him. There's no information to be tested on. The scripture, Exodus 20:18 started with this. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flash, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. Those of us who have seen God do some kind of work in our lives or the lives of other people, we've seen the thundering, the lightning, the mountain smoking, right? Expect a test. <laughs> Let me tell you again, if you've seen God do something, you have information, he is going to test you on the information he's given you. When our kids go to school, they open up a book and the teacher tells them to read and the teacher does assignments with them and then inevitably after all that information comes what? A test. So if you're a Christian and you believe in God and you've seen him do something in your life and you've seen him do something in somebody else's life, expect a test The people said, "Nah, nah, nah, Moses, you deal with the test. <laughs> we want you to stand between us and God. You go up the mountain, and whatever he tells you, we won't hear it, so we won't be tested. You hear it, you test, and then you just give us the answers. <laughs> Y'all know I used to cheat on tests all the time. <laughs> we cannot do that in the kingdom of God, Right? Sitting at each other, like, hey, what's, what's your Bible say? Number five. <laughs> what's what's yours say? Exodus 2020. 20. What's 2020? 20, <laughs> the more I read through the scriptures and the more I look at what Moses was saying here, what did Moses say to him? Do not be afraid. You know what I feel like he wanted to say? Do not be afraid, be changed. Right? I can come in here and tell you all the time, don't be afraid. God is good. God is here. There's peace. You can find it. But if you're not going to be changed, you're not going to find the peace. So maybe what we should say is be afraid. Why? Because you won't change. If you won't change, if you get the information, if you see what God is doing and it doesn't affect you at all, be afraid. A test is coming and you're going to (laughs) fail. Because the test is going to come. My kids don't get to go to school like everybody else, and then the, they don't have to take the test. No, you got to take the test. If you didn't do your homework, you can blame dad because we were at church on Wednesday night till 1030 if you want to. But the test is coming. Either you know the information or you don't. Moses goes up this mountain, and he comes back with information in the form of Ten Commandments. right? And then he tells the people, here's the Ten Commandments. This is what God said you are going to be tested on and expect the test the good news for you and i jesus we've been studying this in matthew he goes up the mountain right we have the sermon on the mount jesus goes up the mountain and he comes down instead of with commandments that they'll be tested on and everyone is proven to fail and fall short of because we're all liars we're all thieves we all have idols right the 10 commandments nobody can pass that test right jesus goes up the mountain and when he comes back down instead of commandments that we cannot meet what does he come down with grace He says, on my test, there's only one question. Have you put your faith in me? And everybody is capable of passing that test. But guess what? There's going to be a test. (laughs) These these girls up here in the car, they can scream and cry all they want. And they can be mad at the people who they felt like should have told them more, told them better, or been more clear. But guess what? Everybody takes their own test. And those who entered in, they don't have to come out and pay for those who didn't. I think Jesus would say the same thing. Don't be afraid, but be changed. Be transformed. Be born again. Let my word actually change you. And if that's not happening, be afraid. Can't cheat on this test. Let's go on, number three. Of our vision test second chronicles 2020 say 2020. 2020 second chronicles chapter 20 verse 20 says they rose early in the morning went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and as they went out Jehoshaphat stood and said hear me o Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem believe in the Lord your God and you will be established believe in his prophets and you shall prosper for me and hopefully for you this isn't hard to see god says this If you believe in the Lord, you'll be established. What does it mean to be established? It means to be firmly rooted, planted upon the rock, immovable. If you believe in God, your salvation is secure. You are written in the Lamb's book of life. You get to walk into that place and you're established. Your name cannot be erased. Your footing cannot be removed. It says, if you believe, you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. Somebody say amen. Amen. And then it says, believe in his prophets and you'll prosper. It says in the word of God, you have the word and you have the men of God and the women of God that God is using to proclaim that word that you should be able to follow. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, if you do that, you'll prosper. That's what discipleship's about. There's a lot of believers, right, who believe in God, but they refuse to be discipled. They refuse to follow anybody. They refuse to put things into action and they don't prosper. Can you see it? God reveals himself to men, then he gives us those that we can follow to lead us into the promised land like Moses did, right? Like Moses tried to do. We're going to step back 20 feet off of this scripture. I'm going to read from verse 15 so we can see a little bit more of the story. He said, listen, all, you, all of you Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Are you guys seeing like a God just keeps telling us not to be afraid. I have a feeling that many of us are more afraid than we let on. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up to the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook. Before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. I'm going to read that one again because I know it ain't up there. 10 Chronicles 20:20. Listen. (laughs) He says, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them. The Lord is with you. Oh, I want to, my bad. I'm sorry. Tomorrow go down against them. They'll surely come up to the ascent and you'll find them at the end of the brook where the wilderness to rule. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah, and O Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed; tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of Korah stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning, went into the wilderness, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. You don't have to be afraid, because the battle's not yours, it's God's. Another reason a lot of us have fear is because we think we have to fight and win the battles that are before us. What's, what's your record? Me, me and uh, our family have been doing this Rocky marathon for like two months with the kids. Nate bought boxing gloves yesterday. He only bought one pair, which means there's no chance for anybody else. <laughs> but Rocky is like undefeated. You know, he, he never loses. I think he lost like once to Apollo. What's your record in all the battles you try to fight? Are you winning? Are the people around you looking at you like, stop fighting? It's not your thing. Stop. You keep getting whooped. Why do you keep going out there like that? You don't even have any gloves. You never had any training. You can't fight. Stop. But we are afraid, and we keep trying to fight, and we keep losing. And then we get frustrated with other people who look at us and tell us to stop fighting. We're like, why don't you help us? Because we don't want to lose either. What does it take for the battle to be the Lord's? I think that's the real struggle, isn't it? We know that the Lord won't fight the battles for sin for us. right? Overall sin and, 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 and overcoming sin, yes. But us being able to continue in sin, he ain't going to fight that battle for us, which is why we fight it for ourselves. Everything that happens in the life of an established believer is for the name and for the glory of God. So when God begins to fight your battles, what, what the scripture is trying to tell you and I, if we back off 20 feet and we see it for what it says, it's, it, this is what it means. You don't have to be afraid if you love God, if you're established in God, if you're trying to follow God, because he'll fight the battle for you. Why? Because he won't let his sons and his daughters be destroyed. Because if he does that, there's no power or no promise in his name. How can he say, come to me if you're, if you're uh, heavy burdened and weary, and I'll give you rest, and then not give us rest? And then have the world looking at us like, man, you put your faith in that Jesus, you put your faith in God, and he let you be destroyed? God says, it's for my name. I won't let that happen to you. Let me fight the battle. I'm going to win it. Amen. Not only do I love you, but I, I stand on my word and on my promises. Right. Imagine if we looked at, imagine if, imagine if we could see that just literally taking our hands off the wheel sometimes is safer for us in the kingdom. You know what, Lord? You ain't gonna let this ship go down because it's your ship. The only thing I can do by putting my hands on the wheel is crash it myself. So what did they do? If you can't put your hands on the wheel, right? And if the battle's not yours to fight, in this portion of scripture, right? Second Chronicles chapter 20, It says, they all just bowed down and worshipped. You know that's all you have to do? If you'll worship God, I I love my wife, and it's not because she's a worship leader, and it's not because I think she said something about, like, fantasizing over Kevin Costner earlier. (laughs) Did anybody else hear that, or was that just me? She was like, I was watching the movie, and all I could think of is my husband is like Kevin Costner. I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) But anyway... (laughs) It's all right, girl. Anyway, I had Mary upstairs earlier. We said, listen, babe, we got a lot going on today. There's a message. There's there's kids that have to go out. There's a skit. I said, babe, let's let's worship God, give him everything we got, but let's be a little bit conscious of time. This girl, the lights are out. She's just worshiping. I don't care. You can turn the lights out. I'm going to keep singing. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. (laughs) But. Here's what we have to realize, right? The worship team's looking at her like, hey man, this is, I mean, it's, there's a flashing light at us. <laughs> but, it, but it's interesting when you see somebody that doesn't have fear because they just worship. I don't care about the schedule, I'm a worship. I don't care about the plans that pastor and the sound people put in place, I'm a worship. I don't care that the kids are gonna do a skit, I'm gonna worship, right? I don't care, I don't care that there's a battle before me. I'm not gonna fight it, I'm gonna worship. I don't care that it's bigger and stronger than me, that I'm often afraid when I come into this place. You know why? Because when I get into this place, I'm going to worship. That's what the story tells us in 2 Chronicles. It says, listen, the battle ain't yours, it's the Lord's. You don't have to fight it. All you have to do is position yourself and wait and watch the salvation of the Lord. And if you want to do something, this is the only thing you ever have to do, worship. Bow down before me, say, I'm not the king, he's the king, and worship. I think that's like 2010 though you know 2020 is normal vision for everybody else you got that 2010 you can see an opportunity for worship in your trial and tribulation and fear John 4 23 says it like this the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him he ain't looking for a song service he ain't looking for a read-along sing-along he ain't looking for a, a, Sunday, a Sunday worshiper and a Monday through Saturday sinner. He said, I'm looking for somebody to worship me in spirit and truth. I'm looking for somebody to come and tell me I'm afraid. I'm looking for somebody to come and tell me I've sinned, but I repent. Help me, Lord. I'm looking for somebody to say, I'm tired of plateauing. I'm trying to have vision to keep going. Amen. Right? That's spirit and truth. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20, coming, coming down the mountain up there for you Ezekiel 2020 20 says God says hollow my Sabbaths and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God there's something about the Sabbath which is Sunday everybody say Sunday. Sunday see you're all here so I can't talk bad about you but look around if somebody ain't here I'm talking bad about them I'll be honest with you in my salvation I've been saved for about 12 a little bit over 12 going on 13 years now and I, I try to tell people I don't know if they believe me the number one thing, say number one, the number one thing in my salvation that I've seen God move and I believe has the most impact in what God has done in my life, in my family, in my marriage, in the ministry, everything is just going to church every Sunday. I'm not lying to you. I'm not saying that because I want you here or that I need you here. I'm telling you the God's honest truth. If I could tell everybody, hey, there's just one thing that you should do, if you, if, There's a lot of things you probably can't do as a new believer, right? But there's one thing you can do and should do. Just go to church every Sunday. I guarantee you if you do that, things will change. You'll hear some stuff and you'll be tested. (laughs) You'll be able to bring your fears Right? And then you'll meet the one who's in the midst of the congregation. Listen to what God says here. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20. Hollow my Sabbath. It'll be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. I've been at church every Sunday for 13 years almost. And every Wednesday. And I ain't talking about taking a vacation. I ain't talking about getting sick every once in a while. We got to grow up. That happens. That's life. I'm talking about the people that just say, you know what, I ain't going. You know what, it's raining. You know what, I'm tired. You know what, I was sick last week and I just want to make sure I ain't still sick this week. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. 13 years. And it's not hard. It's the easiest thing and God, for whatever reason, just blesses that. He just blesses it. You don't have to do any work. <laughs> Listen to what God says in verse 20. Ezekiel twenty twenty. he says, this will be a sign between me and you, and you will know that I'm the Lord. We think going to church is something that other people will look at and see something and say, oh wow, you must be a Christian because you go to church, and other people are looking at you and pastors looking at you. Listen to what God said. Going to church every week, hallowing the Sabbath, he says it's gonna be a sign between me and you that you love me, that I love you, that you belong to me and I belong to you. It's our sign. And because of it, you'll know that I'm the Lord, your God. Not other people will know. You'll know. He says, if you just hollow the Sabbath and come week after week after week, you will know that I'm your God. That's crazy. Can you see it? Is it 2020, like 2040, 20, what is it? A little bit, can you see it? I walked in here this morning, right? and we're worshiping, and I, I, I was excited to see so many people here, to see all the kids, to see all the family, to see everybody make it through the rain, whatever it took, right? But I'm not excited because I just want you to be sitting there and filling a seat. I'm excited because I know what the word says. If you'll do this, you will come to know that he's your Lord. So let's take a few steps back, 20 feet or so, starting at verse 15 of Ezekiel 20. So I also raised my hand in a note. this is God speaking, to them in the wilderness, that I would not bring them into the land which I had given to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and they did not walk in my statutes. They profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, My eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness, but I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourself with their idols. Man, I pray that God's not saying that to our kids in the classroom right now, right? God says, I was about to smoke them, but I didn't. But you know what I did? I went upstairs into the children's church, and I said, don't act like they act down there. That's what that scripture said, right? Do you, ooh, we got to read this thing. we got to read it so we don't. Man. Tells their children, do not defile yourself with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my judgments and do them. Hollow my Sabbaths and they will be a sign between me and you. See the vision? There will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding. The children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, and they were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he will live by them. But they profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. God's like, look, I just want to smoke them, but I can't. (laughs) They don't listen, but I love them. And you know what? Even though I love them and I could smoke them because I'm going to bring them to heaven anyway because they do belong to me, for my name's sake, I won't smoke them. Why? Because look at all the Gentiles who saw me bring them out of Egypt. If I did all these miracles in Egypt to to save you and to bring you out and then I smoke you, people are going to look and say, that's not a good God. So he says, I won't do that. Why? For my name's sake, not for you and not for your name's sake. Question I have for you this morning, how much of the good stuff that happens in your life is because you're faithful and God is rewarding you for your faithfulness, and how much of the good stuff that happens in your life is just because he's making sure to take care of his name, right? We look at the good things that come into our life, I must deserve it, I must be good, their life sucks because they don't love God, (laughs) and the reality is that's not true, I'm struggling right now, praying about it. Like, Lord, a lot of good things have happened to me. How much is because I'm faithful and I deserve it? And how much is just because I'm a pastor and I bear your name? If you've ever been around somebody who loves God, like my wife, she loves God. I often think, I don't tell her very often, but I often think like, Lord, like at least 90% of the things that are good in our life, I know it's because you love her. Like I know it, because I'm not as faithful as I should be, and my mind's not as good as it should be, and I'm not as committed as I should be, but I know that good things keep happening to me. Why? I know you love me, but you love her. Man, check yourself, check your relationships. How much is because of your faithfulness and how much is because he loves your kids? How much is because he loves your spouse? How much is because he won't allow his name to be profaned in the world? If we would focus on those things, you know what it would lead us to do? repent. We would come to the altar and you wouldn't have to be asked. You would have to be asked, hey, it's not that time yet. Can you please go back to your seat? (laughs) No, I came here for this. I know why I came into this building. Mm. He gives one direction here. I'm the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, do them, hollow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. He said, you got to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Just coming to church is not enough. Keep the Sabbath. Be a doer. Every week, every week, every week. Overcome the rain. Overcome the pain. right? We got people on one leg. My brother-in-law standing up in the the sound room on one leg, literally. (laughs) This morning, I had my temporary crown pop off. I was flossing. I was trying to do the right thing. Bam! It comes flying out. I was like, "Oh!" And so it's exposed. But I'm one of those super spiritual people. I was like, "Well, only only one king can wear the crown." <laughs> I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I could be at home, toothless, right, at hurting, or I could be here, toothless, at hurting. Why would I not be here? I'm gonna hollow the Sabbath. only one king can wear the crown <laughs> last test this morning we're going to close acts chapter 20 verse 20 should be up here for you paul says in acts 20:20 20, 20, i kept nothing back that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house paul's telling the people that they are responsible for their own vision of God. He says, look, everything I know, I told you. Everything I've seen, I've shown you. My very life, I walked into your house. We were intimate. You cannot come and say, well, Paul was cool, but we never got to know him. He never came over. We never really hung out. I didn't know how real it was. No, Paul says we were intimate. I went house to house. I gave you everything that I have. And now, guess what? Your vision, your relationship with God, your salvation, it's on you. It ain't going to be on Pastor Paul. So we step back 20 feet. Everything I know. I I didn't hold anything back. I proclaimed it to you. I did it publicly, and I went house to house. I'm going to read from verse 17. See this final story. He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, you know that from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that the chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my own life dear to myself, So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves." I love Pastor Paul. When we look at just verse 20, it's up close and personal, and Paul just says, look, I'm not holding anything back from you guys. I don't have like a secret place that I have with God that none of you have access to. A lot of times we like to look in this day and age at the church or at pastors, and we feel like for some reason they have a closer connection with God, or they have more availability. Like you can only, you only have certain hours. Between 10 and 12, you guys are good. You can come to God. But pastor, he can go anytime he wants. Paul's saying that's not the case. Everything I do, everything I've seen, everything that makes me close to God, the fact that I can talk and say the Holy Spirit testifies to me everywhere I go, that there's difficulty ahead of me, he's saying you all have the same access to that God, and you need to take heed to yourself. We see that when we're at verse 20, up close and personal. When we back up, listen to what Paul's actual message was. Does that make sense? What he said in verse 20 is, I didn't hold the message back. But when we back up to 20 feet, he tells you what the message was that he actually was proclaiming. He said, I preach repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Church is not confusing, church. Repent and put your faith in Christ. If you're wrong this morning, repent. If you lie, if you cheat, if you steal, if you say things you shouldn't say, if you treat people in a way that they should not be treated, if you rob God of the 10% that belongs to him, if you don't read your word, if you don't pray, if you don't worship, it doesn't matter what it is, repent. You can't keep doing that and expect to be in right relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. Not for me and not for you. Repent. Paul says, listen, that's what I preach, repentance and faith in Jesus. Not only am I sorry, but I know I cannot fix it myself, so Jesus, will you fix it for me? That's what it means to have faith in Christ. You don't have to fight your own battle, but you definitely have to admit to the one who will fight it for you how you got into the trouble, right? Jesus is going to come and say, listen, I'll fight your battle. I'll win your battle. I'll take care of it. But you ain't going to just walk away (laughs) and let me fight your battle. You're going to come to me and say, look, I pissed off the wrong person. I did something I shouldn't do. Any of your friends ever call you like that? Like, they're about to get in a fight or something, and they called you, they want you to fight. are like, well, you're at least gonna tell me what you did. I wanna know what I'm fighting for. I remember my brother did that one time. He was, at a, he was at a park playing basketball and got in a fight. He called me, I was like, at least 20 minutes away, hey, it's about to go down, you need to get over here. <laughs> so I jumped in the car, but I asked him, what'd you do? <laughs> He didn't want to tell me the whole story. We got to repent. (laughs) It's like that with God. Look, Lord, it's about to go down. (laughs) I need your help. All right, that's fine. What did you do? Don't tell me that they did something. Don't tell me it's her fault. Don't tell me it's his fault. Don't tell me they shorted you or they robbed you or they did X, Y, and Z. Tell me what you did. Paul says that's all I preach repentance and faith in Jesus. Then he says, this is what it takes to actually deliver the message. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy. Paul says, listen, I know I'm going to die trying to tell you the message. I know that chains and tribulations are what's awaiting me. For me to go and tell you how to be saved, for me to go and tell you how to repent, for me to go and tell you that you can be forgiven, Paul says, I'm going to do it, But I know that I'm going to die doing it. And you know what he says? I don't even count my life dear to me. You know why? Because my vision is beyond the grave. My vision is beyond the grave. I'm not nearsighted. I got 20-20. I got better than that. I know that even if they kill me, I'll be resurrected just like my Lord was resurrected. So I won't stop. I'm going to finish the race, and I'm going to do it with a smile on my face. Mm. Last thing he says Paul said, the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I hope that the challenge this morning, which I know, I know it was strong, but I hope you didn't hear something that I didn't say. Because I want to say what Paul said. Paul says it's the grace of God. You don't have to earn anything. You can't fix it on your own, right? Paul says, everything that I've said, I go out and I tell people about the grace of God. He loves you so much that he'll forgive all of our stupidity. He'll forgive all of our sin. He'll forgive the things that you've done since you've been saved that you know you shouldn't be doing. That's why Paul later says, I die daily. Every day I repent. You don't get to wake up tomorrow and not repent. You, you're, listen, let me, let me, I'm a prophet right now. Between now and tomorrow morning, you're going to do something or think something or say something that you shouldn't. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, you need to repent. Watch. Tell me I ain't a prophet. <laughs> Everything's by the grace of God. The life you have today, the time that God has allowed you to live far from him and deny him, all by his grace. Every good thing you have in your life today. Why don't you bow your heads for just a second? We're going to close. Worship team, would you come? Bow your heads for just a second. I want you to think. Our series is vision, so could you, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture some of the good things that you have in your life. They might be people. Might be jobs and resources, relationships, friends, the vehicle you got here in, the home that you live in, the forgiveness and some of the, some of the, uh, the freedom that you found in Christ maybe. I want you to think about those things for just a second. And I want you to realize that You have them by the grace of God. By the grace of God. You don't deserve those things. I don't deserve those things. If we really think about what it means to be saved, (laughs) the value of salvation has to be so great to you that you would say it's worth everything else. The scriptures talk about finding a pearl of great price and selling everything in order to obtain it. That's our salvation. Every good thing that you have, we should be willing to lose it in order to have salvation. Paul says, I don't even count my life dear to me. There's nothing I have that's more important or more valuable than my salvation. The fact that I've been able to see God like the disciples that saw the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. I've got vision. I've seen it. I know it's real. It's mine. And if you believe that this morning, and on top of that, God says, here's some other good things. (laughs) And you can picture them. You see them right now for yourself this morning. You know them intimately and specifically. You know them by name. These are good things that God has given to you by his grace. How amazing. This is also true. Every test that you're going through right now is a gift from God. He's trying to teach you something. He's trying to show you something. He's trying to confirm that He is greater in you than anything that you're up against, anything that's come against you, anything that you're afraid of right now. You have a test, but it's not that you would fail. It's not that you would be shamed. It's not that the name of the Lord would be shamed or profaned. It's there for victory. It's a platform for victory. It's not a plateau, it's a platform to go higher, to go further, to see more, to have greater vision, to go beyond 2020, which the world thinks is perfect vision and understanding that we have more. We can see into a spiritual realm like Paul could. Repent and put your faith in the Lord, he says. I want to pray and I'm going to open the altars as we close. I'm going to pray and release you guys. But before I do, the heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here this morning and you've never repented and put your faith in the Lord, you can read through the scriptures. It does not say that the heavens will part, that the stars will align, that lightning will strike across the skies, that there will be an earthquake. It doesn't say that because what the Bible actually says is that every man and every woman is aware that there is a God. They know him because he is their creator and the creator of everything. Just walking outside, just breathing, just waking up this morning. The Bible declares that you know that there is a God and you know that you're a sinner that can only be saved. You can't fix it. You've tried already, just like I've tried already. We cannot fix it and it never lasts because it has to be repented of and it has to be paid for by Christ. If you've never done that, I pray you see the opportunity that you have this morning. Our teenagers did a a skit about driving, crashing, and the lights going out. We don't know when our last day is going to be. And we're not promised multiple opportunities. We're only promised one opportunity to come to the Lord. Most of you have probably had more than one, but you've got another today. If that's you, nobody's looking around. It's between you and the Lord. If you want to repent, give your life to the Lord, would you just raise your hand? Hallelujah. I see you. I see you. He sees you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. That's it. That's it, that's all that matters. Bring your fears and he'll take them away from you. Thank you Lord, thank you Jesus. On the cross, Jesus was there. and The Bible declares that he said it is finished and he breathed his last. Salvation is accomplished in the decision that you just made because of what was accomplished in that very moment on the cross. He didn't say, it's almost done. He didn't say, I've got a little bit more to do. He says, it is finished. You've been converted. You've been changed. If you raised your hand, if you raised your heart, if you really repent this morning of your sins, if you really understand that there's no hope for you outside of Christ, you are saved. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't worry about what your friends or family say to you. Don't worry about how hard it's going to get. In this next season, you're saved. Jesus says, all that the Father has given him, he's not lost one. No matter what you do from this point forward, he will not lose you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You belong to him. You are a child of God. For the rest of us here this morning and for those that just gave your life to the Lord, Now it's time to have our vision corrected. We've seen with our eyes of the world for too long. We've been nearsighted. We've been sin-sighted. We've been all kinds of things. We need vision from God. A vision that starts inside of us that cannot be taken from us. But listen to the word. It said, do not fear, but be changed. (laughs) You can't remain the same. Keep my Sabbath. Pass the test, they're gonna keep coming. It doesn't matter who you are here this morning for the rest of your earthly life. Prepare. There's gonna be tests, there's gonna be tribulation, there's gonna be things that are bigger than you that are afraid that you're afraid of. Keep coming, keep sharing, keep praying. Be doers of the word and not just hearers in this place. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for those that would respond. We thank you for those that saw something that they had never seen before, Lord God. We thank you for their boldness, Lord, their confidence, Lord, to put their faith in you. The same way that we see over and over in the scriptures, Lord, where a woman would crawl up to you just to touch the hem of your garment. She didn't care who saw her. She didn't care how humiliating it was, Lord God. She knew that you were the only one that she could find hope and healing in, Lord God. I thank you for those that did the same thing this morning. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same way that you saved her and you healed her. You kept another woman from being stoned, Lord God. I mean, you just love us. Your grace is amazing. I pray for them, Lord. I pray for the rest of us, God, that we would keep your Sabbath, that we would bring our fears to your altar, that you would give us peace, Lord God, that our vision, Lord, would go beyond 2020 in earthly perfection, Lord God, and into the heavenly realms, Lord. Show us more of yourself. Protect us as we go from this place. We will be driving in the rain. We will be exposed to the bad things in this world, Lord God. We will be challenged. And even though you're testing us, we do have an enemy that is going to tempt us. We cannot escape this place. We have to live for you in this place. So help us. Help us fight our battles, Lord. All we'll do is worship. Protect our kids, protect our youth and our young adults, Lord God, our adults here in this place. Have your way. We worship you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. I know we were a little long this morning. You guys are free. You're released. If you want to pray, if you want prayer, the altars are open.